welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 72. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been playing The Ghost of Tsushima, a game that's been on my backlog for some time, but I finally got into it, and I'm really, really glad I did. I've also been playing Loop Hero, a new roguelike deck-building RPG, plus Maquette, which is a first-person puzzle game from Annapurna Interactive. Well, it's a busy show as always, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Now, I'm good this week, and I finally got my hands on the Xbox Series X this week, having spent many months subscribing to various Twitter feeds for updates, only to be disappointed when I got to the cart. I have to say, I'm massively impressed with the Series X and the sheer value of the thing when you include Xbox Game Pass. So I went into the next generation of consoles thinking I was going to be a PS5 main, but Xbox Game Pass has really, really turned my head. Previously, I have been using Xbox Game Pass on PC, but there's so many more titles on the Xbox console itself. I upgraded myself to the Ultimate Package and you get loads of EA titles, which also came to PC Game Pass this week, and we just had a huge amount of Bethesda games added to the library too, and we've got Outriders coming on April the 1st, 2021. And as a Destiny player, I was happy to see Beyond Light, Forsaken and Shadowkeep DLCs there too. I also managed to pick up one of the new red controllers, which looks very slick indeed, although I do have my eyes on an Elite controller, but I'm probably going to have to wait for that one as I have been on a bit of a spending splurge, and my bank manager probably isn't going to be happy with all these purchases. But hey, we're in lockdown, and I'm going to make the most of it. So as well as playing the Xbox Series X, I got excited about the return of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles this week with the announcement of their new game called Shredder's Revenge. This one is a throwback to the scrolling beat-em-up games of the 90s based on the 87 cartoon, and this one is being published by the same company who brought us Streets of Rage 4 back in 2020, so I'm massively excited for this. I'll be talking about that one later on in the show. And Square Enix also showed off their Nintendo Direct-style showcase this past week, and I'll round up their announcement shortly. Before we get into the show, I did want to plug the podcast Patreon, and you can send in your questions for the podcast and your stories by signing up to Patreon, and for as little as £2 a month, you can sign up to become a patron where you can get access to exclusive Discord rooms, send in questions and comments to be read out on the This Week in Video Games podcast, and you get access to exclusive content and early access too. There's plenty of benefits over at Patreon, plus you get to support the show and help This Week in Video Games become a little bit more self-sufficient. Well, that is enough intro waffle from me, but let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been getting into my backlog, and I finally got into something I've been meaning to play for a while, and that is The Ghost of Tsushima. It's a massive open-world RPG set in Japan from developer Sucker Punch, and exclusive to the PlayStation platform. I did buy this one when it first came out, but it sat on the shelf patiently waiting to be played, and I'm super glad I did, and I'll be getting into that first up in the show. Another indie game that's had a great start to its life in 2021, following on from the success of Valheim in February, and that is Loop Hero. So this one is a mix of genres like roguelike, RPG, deck building, there's plenty in there, but this one is both relaxing and satisfying at the same time, and perhaps is the best podcast game that I've played in 2021. I've also been playing Maquette, and this is a first-person puzzle game. It's an interesting one, we interact with a model-sized version of your world 
solving puzzles and looking back on a past relationship. It's a classic Annapurna interactive game, high quality, great narrative and decent puzzles, and I'll get into that one later on in the show. But if you do want to skip around a bit, check out the timestamps down below, and you can always skip to a section of the podcast that you enjoy. But first up in the show, let's get to my thoughts of Ghost of Tsushima. The Ghost of Tsushima is an open-world adventure through ancient Japan, and in many ways it's a love letter to samurai Kurosawa movies, and the game is full of tense combat, exploration secrets, as well as bursting with colour and jaw-dropping vistas. Ghost of Tsushima focuses on Jin Sakai and the evasion of the Mongols to feudal Japan in 1274. And we're introduced to Jin and his uncle early on in the game on the beaches of Tsushima, trying to fend off the vast Khotun Khan and his Mongol warriors. So Jin nearly dies and his uncle gets captured. As you progress through the game, we keep returning to the central conflict with Jin. You know, do you approach with honour or do you do what you have to do to survive and keep the people of Tsushima safe from harm? In key moments in the game, we're presented with flashbacks from Jin's uncle teaching him the honourable ways, but as you make your way throughout the game, the sheer numbers and the brutal nature of the Mongolian forces, Jin is forced to use underhand tactics. Now, he's not always proud, and Khotun Khan, meanwhile, is keeping Jin's uncle, goading him that he hears of Jin falling into the path without honour. Yeah, it's a pretty good setup, and I appreciate the narrative, the cutscenes, and the environmental storytelling. The structure of the game is really good. You know, if you want to mainline the story, you can do it. There's no gating here either, which is always a bonus. There's nothing more frustrating than going through a story-focused game only to reach a point where you have to stop, go and collect a bunch of things, and then come back hours later after some grinding. You know, here, there's none of that. You've got four main kind of story elements to engage in. You've got the main quests, the side quests, the tales, and there's the mythic quests too. The side quests do a great job of fleshing out the excellent cast of characters, including Yuna, who coins the phrase of Jin being a ghost after one intense battle we have to take back a forge. The mythic quests are nice too, as you learn ancient sword fighting techniques or moves, and there's some nice armour to find throughout the game. Now, it's got something for everyone. Those who just want to see the main story can beeline the main campaign, but for completionists, there's a richness in the game that's there if you want to find it. And the tales then multi-part and delve into one character into much more detail. So combat is fairly central to Ghost of Tsushima. Whether you're battling down five or six guys with bows or swords or spears, or you're facing off against one opponent, the combat feels really good and tense at times. When you approach a battle, you've got a couple of options. You can face them with honour like a samurai, or you can sneak in like a ghost. These options laid before you also weave throughout the narrative of the game and repeatedly ask you the moral question of what you want to do. So this doesn't have Sekiro or Dark Souls precision level of combat, but it does feel very good and satisfying. The parish system implemented in the game is fairly forgiving, easing you in rather than punishing you like some Souls games. And as you progress throughout the game, you do collect skill points and you can choose to spend them on sword fighting skills and tricks, which certainly make the game easier as your opponents increase in skill and numbers. Throughout my playthrough, I never got tired of hitting the showdown button. So this is an indicator on the screen when you're approaching some enemies and you go into a standoff mode where each man slowly walks in, 
eyes locked and then it's the first person to blink. You have to keep an eye on the triangle button and release it at the right time, but after you've done this a few times, timing won't be a problem at all. Now this is a fantastic effort from developer Sucker Punch, who offered a couple of games of this generation to bookend the PS4 and the Xbox One era. So back in 2014 they released Infamous Second Son, and they wouldn't be back until the end of the generation with Ghost of Tsushima. So I waited on this game and I didn't play it until I had my PS5. I'm really glad I waited to see it in 60 frames per second and upscaled 4K graphics. It's truly a thing of beauty. So the world in Ghost of Tsushima is a beautiful one and you realise this very early on when Jin is on his horse crossing the windswept fields reaching down to grab the white leaves from the plants below. It's a really, really stunning opening. If you get the opportunity to play the game on the PS5, then I thoroughly recommend it. The colour of the environments pop out at every turn, whether it's the purple flowers as you climb a mountain, or the fields of red and brown leaves falling from the trees. The environments feel alive in the game, and it's constantly communicating with you through the wildlife and especially the wind. So this is one of the nicest touches in the game. To navigate the world, you can focus on a marker and then use the guiding winds to get to your destination. It's a nice touch and one that makes the game feel like it's literally breathing in and out and gently directing you to where you need to go. There's also plenty to explore in the world of Tsushima. The island is made up of three parts, so you start out at the bottom and you work your way up throughout the chapters in the game. The island is really big and there's plenty to do and loads to see, so as well as the Mongols to fight, there's wildlife to contend with. This ranges from bears, Mongol attack dogs, and also wild pigs too. There's a friendlier wildlife out there in terms of birds and deer, and friendly little foxes that lead you to shrines. So as with other open world games, there's plenty to collect, level up, and secrets to find. So progressing through the game allows your legend to grow throughout Tsushima, which in turn leads to new skills and stances. So you've got the water stance, the wind stance, and the stone stance, just to name a few, and all of them are really effective against certain enemies. You can easily switch between the stances in battle, adapting to the environment and your enemies who's attacking you in a split second. So together with the stances, you can learn legendary moves, which in effect are like special moves, allowing you to strike a death blow or attack multiple people in a short space of time. And the quests for these are really fun. I'd recommend doing one or two of them because they're really going to help you out in battle and make it much easier as you get towards the endgame. There are merchants in the towns and the forts that you visit and you can upgrade your sword, your outfit and also your ranged weapons too. So as well as your deadly katana, you also have an array of ranged weapons including throwing knives and later on different grenade types. These, however, are labelled as ghost weapons, and your uncle would likely tell you off for fighting without honour. But when you've got seven guys coming at you, you have to do what it takes to kill them, otherwise it's going to be game over. The game is already beautiful in its initial state, but there's also the option to switch to a Kurosara mode, where the colour is drained to simply black and white, and the audio is slightly modified. It's definitely authentic, but personally I wouldn't recommend it for too long, as you're going to be missing out on some of the best colour and graphics of the last generation. It is a really nice touch in the game, and perhaps this would be good for a second playthrough, or a short amount of time. However, with the graphics being this good, I'd recommend enjoying them in their original form. Since the game's launch, Sucker Punch have added a couple of modes. So you've got Legends Mode, and there's also a Raid 2. 
Legends is a multiplayer expansion that features more supernatural elements from Japanese legends, and players assume one of four available classes and either take on the two-player story missions or four-player wave-based missions, although all missions can be played solo. There's also a four-player raid, and that takes place over three chapters. It's pretty incredible to get this level of support post-launch for what was seemingly a single-player adventure game. Now, Sucker Punch has done a great job and rightly won many awards in 2020. I think if it wasn't for Last of Us 2, then I'm sure it would have taken many more Game of the Year awards. It's an amazing first effort at this type of game from Sucker Punch, and the fact that they added multiplayer and a raid puts other companies to shame with this level of support. But it's not all perfect in Ghost of Tsushima. The lighting at times can be a little bit dark, the environment can feel a little bit samey, and once you learn the patterns of the opponents, things can get a little bit predictable in battle. Side quests can be a little bit bland, although personally, I think this is saved by the strength of the main quest. The side quests can feel a bit like they were tacked on after and aren't as rich as the main quest, but it's a mild complaint to an otherwise fantastic effort. Now, from the very first moments with the game, it blew me away with the stunning visuals and the engaging gameplay, and the story kept me playing and I was getting up a few hours early to sneak in more time with the game. Now, it looks great on both PS4 and PS5, and if you're a fan of single-player action-adventure games, then I definitely recommend you pick up Ghost of Tsushima, give it a try, and I don't think you're going to be disappointed. So the developer was Sucker Punch, and it was published by Sony Interactive. It's available for the PS4 and the PS5, and it was originally released on the 17th of July, 2020. Well, that is it for my review of the Ghost of Tsushima, and next up, let's have a look forward to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder's Revenge. So the Heroes in a Half Shell are coming back in a remake of the 90s Konami arcade classic, and it's coming to consoles and PC, and it's the next project from Dotemu, publisher of other returning hits like Streets of Rage 4 and Wonder Boy The Dragon's Trap. So a trailer for the new game called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge has been released via social media leading to TMNT trending on Twitter and pretty much every outlet picking up the story and running with it. This one feels like it's got more buzz than Streets of Rage 4 last year and given that went down pretty well, the return of the Turtles I guess was pretty inevitable. And I for one are really really happy that they're coming back. I'm probably the perfect age for the Turtles. I, mean, I was a kid when they first came out, and then going into my teenage years, the four-player Konami arcade was released. I remember an old friend of mine's dad used to fix arcade machines, and he had the Turtles arcade in his garage one time, and he used to just hang out there, playing for hours, not needing to pump in money into the thing, just press a secret button that's normally behind lock and key, and instantly we had tens or hundreds of lives. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge is reportedly taking us on a tour of classic TMNT locations, which includes the sewers of New York City and also Dimension X. And our old school baddies are back too with Shredder, Krang, Bebop and Rocksteady, as well as their base, the Technodrome. So this is very much a scrolling beat-em-up with 16-bit pixel art graphics. You can play up to four-player co-op battling the foot through various locations. And hopefully we're going to be able to play online co-op, much as we did with Streets of Rage 4. Although specific features haven't yet been announced, with the release date and precise platforms also not known yet to the public. 
So as well as Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo and Raphael, the trailer features Splinter and April O'Neil looking like they're getting ready for combat. Although there's no word yet on playable characters, but we'd assume at the start at least all four turtles are definitely going to be playable, and then perhaps other characters will be able to unlock, like April, Splinter, and maybe even Casey Jones. Though Casey Jones wasn't anywhere to be seen in the trailer, which was a little bit of an odd omission. The announcement trailer is definitely worth checking out, and it features an original soundtrack by Faith No More's Mike Patton, and the intro has been redone to go with a new song, and it's been created in the style of the 80s cartoon. And for anyone who has nostalgia for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I dare you not to get hyped by the trailer. So Game Informer recently had some really great insight from the team behind the game. You can check out the full article by Marcus Stewart on the Game Informer website. Nickelodeon, who owns the Turtles license, approached Otemo about working on a new project, the Turtles IP, having been impressed with their work on Wonder Boy. And Otemo then understood from contacts that Tribute Games had been trying to get Nickelodeon to create a remake based on the classic arcade since 2010, and then the stars aligned. So Jonathan Levine from Tribute Games was very keen on working on TMNT, and then two teams from Tribute Games and Otemo met at GDC, and the team who would go on to develop and publish Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge was born. So Tribute had an advantage as some of their team worked on the 2007 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game based on the movie at the time, and they had experience too with Scott Pilgrim vs. The World The Game. And the team was super excited to be involved with the new Turtles game and jumped at the chance to add their expertise to a new brawler version for our Heroes in a Half Shell. And Shredder's Revenge certainly looks like it's shaping up to be a great return for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. At the moment, there's no release window. We have to wait and see for their date and the platform soon, but you can go over to Steam and wishlist it now if you're interested. Well, that is it for my look ahead at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge, and I hope you're really hyped for that one. But if you're enjoying this week in video games content, and if you want to support us further, then check out patreon.com forward slash this week in video games for benefits like joining in the community discussion on podcasts, early access and exclusive content, content voting, and YouTube and podcast shoutouts. There's also a merch store which includes t-shirts, hoodies, and all kinds of other this week in video games stuff. You know, watching and interacting down there in the comments is more than enough. But if you want to support This Week in Video Games further, then you can do through Patreon and Teespring. Check out the links down below for more information. Well, that is it for my Patreon plug, but next up, let's have a look at the content from Square Enix Presents this past week. Square Enix showed off their upcoming slate this past week in the latest company jumping on the Nintendo Direct bandwagon. And the show was fairly tight with a good amount of announcements. There were some known things here, but also some surprises too. Well, the show kicked off with an extended look at Outriders or an Outriders 101. And I don't think anything new was shown here. It was mainly a trailer to get people hyped for the April the 1st launch. The trailer was really well put together and the hype for the game was bolstered in the last couple of weeks with news that it's coming to Xbox Game Pass on day one, if you've got an Xbox, although hopefully it's coming to PC Game Pass later on. Square Enix also then showed off some info about Lara Croft's 25th anniversary, mainly with partnership news, and they talked about her being in the latest season of Fortnite. And finally, there's an upcoming release of the recent Lara Croft trilogy games and that is coming as a single package. 
Next up, there was a bunch of mobile games, including Just Cause, Hitman, Sniper, Assassins, Space Invaders Go, and a few other Taito partnership titles like Darius and Bubble Bubble. Avengers was up next with news from Crystal Dynamics, and we got a look at Hawkeye in action, plus a glimpse of the improved roadmap. Yeah, things certainly have gone a little bit quiet for Avengers, but it looks like there's some decent content coming down the pipeline for this one, and that includes the announcement of Black Panther is coming to the game sometime in the near future, in a genuinely exciting moment for the game. Now, I wasn't really too interested in Kate Bishop or Hawkeye, but Black Panther is probably enough to bring me back to the game, that had so much promise in the latter stages of 2020. Balan Wonderland was up next, looks absolutely mad, although I am increasingly interested in anything co-op these days, after having such a great time with Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury recently, but that is a really high bar for other titles to reach. Next up we have the new Life is Strange True Colours, that was shown off at great length, that stars Alex Chen, who has to solve the mystery death of her brother. She appears to have empathy-based powers to understand what other characters in the game are feeling and why. So the trailer really did go on a little bit and the dubbing was quite strange. You should go back and watch it, it's quite funny. However, the game does look interesting, even though the presentation was quite odd. And also, the first two Life is Strange games, Life is Strange and Life is Strange Before the Storm, they're getting remasters and are coming out in autumn 2021. Finally, Project Athia, the PS5 exclusive, was given a new trailer and a proper name with Forspoken. So there's dragons in the game, and we also got a first glimpse of gameplay, with the main character traversing across the environment at speed, and with agility too. So I didn't really have many expectations for this one off the back of the cinematic they showed at last year's PlayStation 5 console reveal, but this trailer certainly got me excited, and I'm looking forward to what Forspoken turns into. This one is due to come to the PlayStation 5 in 2022, and then later to PC. Well that is it for my roundup of what happened at the Square Enix event. Next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. So at number 10 this week, at one place from last week's number 9, it's Ring Fit Adventure. And at number 9 this week, down three places from last week's number 6, is Super Mario 3D All-Stars. And number 8 this week, up two places from last week's number 10, is Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And holding steady at number 7 is Grand Theft Auto 5. Down one place from last week's number 5 to this week's number 6 is Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. And then this week's number 5, up three places from last week's number 8, it's Minecraft. Holding steady at last week's number 4, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And also holding steady at number 3, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. Down one place from last week's number 1 at this week's number 2, it's Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. And back in at number 1, up one place from last week's number 2, it's Marvel Spider-Man Mars Morales. I guess that one has been boosted by all the recent PS5 sales. But congrats to the team for Mars Morales, it's an absolutely fantastic game. Well that is it for the charts this week, but next up, let's have a look at Loop Hero. So Loop Hero is a new game that's quite tricky to fit into one genre. It's got elements of roguelike, deck building, RPG and also auto battling that comes together in a very, very satisfying way. Now, on first inspection, it may not look like much, but this indie game from Four Quarters and Devolver Digital does a great job of getting its hooks into you. 
In Loop Hero does what it says on the tin. You are a hero who travels in a constant loop, battling and building up your stats as you go. Rather than the traditional method of controlling the hero in the game, you look down on the loop from above and place tiles and select weapons and items for the hero, which helps generate materials and other benefits. There's a couple of modes to the gameplay. There's a pause state or planning mode, then there's the play state or adventure mode. So in the planning mode, the whole screen is paused. You can take your time to place tiles on the board and manage your hero's inventory, preparing for the battle. In adventure mode, the hero automatically walks around the loop continuously until you either fight a boss or die. So when you first start out, the loop and the board is very simple. As you battle enemies early in the game, they drop tiles and inventory items, which you can use to build up your board. And tiles are a wide variety of things like rock, mountains, vampire houses, meadows and villages. And tiles each have different effects on the board from restorative powers or dishing out more enemies and also leveling up your stats. There's also bonuses if you put certain tiles next to one another. For example, if you create a grid of nine rocks and mountains, you'll create a peak that gives you a really big health boost. One of the issues with this though is there's no real instruction or sense to it. You just have to try out different combinations and see what works. And while this promotes discovery and testing, it's not really obvious or prompted to in a tutorial. So Loop Hero has elements of other genres and one of those is an idle game. So our hero continues to walk around the map and battle unaided and we're merely observers in the gameplay. The player does get to manage the loadout of the hero, making sure they're ready for the action. So you've got blood-sucking vampires, goblins, blobs of goo, they're all in your way trying to kill you. So it's definitely a different type of game for sure. Much like an old school RPG from the 80s or the 90s, this one is very much a sit back and relax kind of game with a few modern twists. You know, it's definitely going to scratch that strategy itch for sure, and it will most likely take a few loops before the game starts to click. There's an element of test and see what happens due to the lack of explanation from the tiles, although I'd say the hook crept up on me, but once I got through my first few games, Loop Hero really had me thinking about it, even when I wasn't playing, which I know is always a good sign about a game. So there's different classes in the game too. There's the standard warrior, who you start the game with and you have to unlock more as you progress. So the rogue has a nice dual wielding ability, there's also a necromancer too. So it's definitely one of the more relaxing roguelikes out there. You know, something like Dead Cells, Hades or the umpteen other roguelikes can be tough and the permadeath feature keeps you on your toes throughout a run. Loop Hero though is slightly different in that the tension ramps up much slower. I recommended the game to a few friends and they were baffled by the lack of action in the game so it's something to be aware of. Terrain, creating and deck building are the main features and the main action you observe rather than actually taking part. Loop Hero is a pick and mix of game genres all mixed together to create a very simple but effective package that's going to hook your attention and squeeze it with its goblin-like grip. It also had a very successful start with 500,000 copies sold so far, plus grabbing the attention of some big names in the video games press. The developer, Four Quarters, have responded to the popularity by saying thank you all for your support and the excitement for Loop Hero from all of us at Four Quarters. Right now we're working on patches with quality of life updates you all asked for, including a system for saving during expeditions, new speed settings and a deck of straights gained from bosses. 
After that, you can expect to see lots more content added to the game, such as new cards, classes and transformations, and we can't wait to share more updates with you all soon. So we've already had a breakout indie hit this year with Valheim, and it looks like Loop Hero could be on its way to being another. It's a very different proposition to Valheim, however, it's great to see indies getting the spotlight and continuing the momentum from 2020, which saw massive indie games like Fall Guys and Among Us do really, really well. So Loop Hero is going to make you wonder where the time has gone, and even though your hero is trudging around the loop over and over, there's something about this game that's both satisfying and quite addicting. You can check it out on PC now. Well, the game is developed by Four Quarters, and it's published by Devolver Digital. It's available on PC via Steam, Epic Games, GOG, and also Humble Bundle. It was originally released on the 4th of March, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Loop Hero, and I'd love to hear what you think of Loop Hero and all the other things in the podcast today. You can get in touch by Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames where you can sign up for loads of benefits. And also, most importantly, get in touch. I'd love to read out your questions and your comments and your stories on the podcast. Well, that is it for Loop Hero, but next up, let's have a look at Maquette. So Maquette is a new first-person puzzle game from Grateful Decay and published by Annapurna Interactive. It puts you in a world where you can manipulate the environment around you while an emotive conversation narrates the action. This is a surreal, often dreamlike game that blends together puzzles and narrative in an emotional experience. So you start out in Maquette in a vibrant world that feels very similar to something like Alice in Wonderland. The world is mysterious, the colours... They're bright and vibrant, and you can affect the environment in interesting ways by picking up and touching a small version of the world you're exploring at the same time. The first time you pick up the big red block and drop it down, only to turn around and see a huge red block in your world drop out the sky, it is an amazing feeling. Well, the story in Maquette is about a meeting between two artists in San Francisco, and the story is delivered through animated sequences with the two characters giving a voiceover. And the two voiceover artists for the main characters are real-life husband and wife, and you can really feel the chemistry in the game. We start out when the characters first meet in a coffee shop. She spills her coffee on the man's sketchbook, and they realise they both have a love for drawing, and the conversation starts with him showing her his journal. Well, the gameplay in Maquette is from the first-person view, navigating a 3D world trying to solve puzzles. In the environments, they're bright and they're vibrant, they're interesting the puzzles aren't too tricky, and often involve manipulating a smaller version of the world that you're walking around in. It's an interesting interaction, you can pick something up in the big world and place it in a new location, and that is reflected in the smaller world. The same goes for the small world to the big, and this is the way you can navigate around the environment. For example, early on in the game you need to cross a gap, but you can't get across. There's a tiny bridge found in the small display, and you can move this around to the gap, and there, in the big world, you can cross over the bridge safely. And as you progress through the game, the puzzles iterate on this fairly simple concept. For example, you start in the first world by interacting with a diorama that manipulates the world that you're standing in, and later on you do wonder if you're standing in a diorama itself, and perhaps someone is interacting with the world that you're standing in. And it's all really trippy and fever dream-esque. Maquette is an emotional journey, as well as a first-person puzzle game. 
This is what you'd expect from an Annapurna interactive game, and they do set a high bar for quality. This is a story of a relationship, the happy beginnings, and then things start to get a little bit shaky, and then finally the arguments leading to the end. And this is reflected in Maquette with the happy, fantastical beginnings literally implemented in the world that you stand in, and then the world shifts and evolves through to reflect the emotional state of the lover narrators. The two main characters, Kenzie and Michael, they meet, they move in together, they start their own personal story. It's a normal coming together of two people in a very realistic portrayal of a budding relationship in the real world. You know, It's all really normal, which is both good and bad in terms of a game. It is actually a reflection of the game as a whole. And it's fine, but nothing spectacular happens, and things move along at a reasonable pace. You know, we don't get to see Kenzie or Michael in the game, they're only represented through the voice work. As well as the cutscenes, we also get the narrative text. As well as the cutscenes, we also get the narrative text written in the game on the walls, the floors, and on objects, giving you a little bit more context. There are cutscenes, but they are very few and far between. We don't know if we're playing as Kenzie or Michael in the game. It would have been nice to get a little bit more story, because what we see is actually really, really good. Puzzles in the game are fine. You know, reasonably engaging, but I find myself drawn into the story much more than the puzzles, which is a shame, because the ratio of puzzles to the narrative is very weighted to the puzzles. You know, the concept appears to be quite popular at the moment too, with another title, Superliminal, exploring a similar concept. The game was released via PS Plus on PlayStation, and it's good to get the game for free. I enjoyed my time with Maquette, but I did find it didn't really hold my attention. It is an absolutely fine game, and I do believe it's the first game from Grateful Decay. The graphics are really good, the narrative, I'd say they're probably the best elements of the game, and the audio work is great too, and they really work with the visuals, but I didn't find myself invested as much as I wanted to be. Thinking of other recent Annapurna interactive games like If Found, for example, I found that much more engaging, and it could hold my attention. But if you like puzzle games and you're a fan of Annapurna Interactive, I definitely think it's worth picking up, especially if you've got access to PlayStation Plus. So it's going to be available during March for free, and it's a neat little game to try out. It's not on Xbox Game Pass at the moment, but this is the perfect type of game that would appear on that service. But if you don't have PlayStation, it's also available on PC too. Well, the game was developed by Grateful Decay, it's published by Annapurna Interactive, it's available on PC and PlayStation, and I reviewed the game on PS5. And it was originally released on the 2nd of March 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Maquette. But next up this week, let's have a look what we've got coming up in the next few weeks. So it looks like we've got a few games in the next few weeks. So we're going to start off on the 23rd of March. We've got Overcooked, All You Can Eat, coming out on the PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. And we've got Story of Seasons, Pioneers of Olive Town. That's coming out on the Switch. Moving on to the 24th of March, we've got Love Live, School Idol Festival, After School Wai Hai, Home Meeting. Well, that is a mouthful. That one is coming out on the PS4. We've also got Paradise Lost, that's coming out on the PS4, Xbox One and PC. Then on the 25th of March, we've got Black Legend, that's PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Also on the 25th, we've got Dandy Ace coming to PC. Then we've got Dark Complete Edition coming to PS5, and Xbox Series S and X. We've got El Hijo, a Wild West tale, coming to PS4, Xbox One and Switch. And then also on the 25th we've got Yakuza 6, The Song of Life, and that one's coming to Xbox One and PC. 
So then going to the 26th, we've got Balan Wonderland, mentioned earlier on in the podcast, coming out on the PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Then we've got Genesis Noir, that's coming out on Xbox One, Switch and PC. And we've got It Takes Two, that's coming out on the PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One and PC. Then we've got the big one for the month, it's Monster Hunter Rise, and that one's coming to Switch, coming out on March the 26th. Final one for the 26th of March, we've got Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. It's coming to PS5 and Xbox Series S and X. Then on the 29th, we've got Neptunia Virtual Stars coming to PC. Then on the 30th, we've got Disco Elysium, the final cut. It's coming to PS5, PS4, Stadia and PC. Another one on the 30th, we've got Evil Genius 2 World Domination coming to PC. And then we've got a whole load of Kingdom Hearts games coming to PC on the 30th as well. So we've got Kingdom Hearts 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue, Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 Remix, Kingdom Hearts HD 2.5 Remix, Kingdom Hearts 3, Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind, and Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. So they're all coming to PC. Another one I'm looking forward to on the 30th of March is Narita Boy. That one's coming to PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Then on the 31st, we've got Drifters, that's PS4, Xbox One and PC, and The Binding of Isaac Repentance, that's coming to PC, and then finally, on the 1st of April, we've got Outriders, that's coming to PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One and PC, and don't forget, that one is coming to Xbox Game Pass. Well, that is it for this week's episode, and if you want to get involved in the show, then get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or check out the latest on the website and as always thank you so much for listening or watching for more this week in video games content like this like subscribe on youtube and also share with a friend to join our community check out the discord link in the description and you can follow me on twitter at twivg podcast if you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful liking and sharing it would really help me out otherwise check out the other podcasts in the feed Well, thanks again. I'll see you in the next one.